One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Local Europe Edition, recorded on Thursday the 19th of October 2017. I'm James Savage and with me I have Emma Lufgren. And what a week it has been. Spain has suspended Catalonia's autonomy, Air Berlin had a final fly past, and talk of Britain falling out of the EU without a deal gathered pace. But this week we are going to ask... Just how right-wing is Austria's new government? Could Venice be Italy's Catalonia? And in the week that women were saying me too after Harvey Weinstein's disgrace, we ask if a new French law could stop sex pests in their tracks. All that is coming up. But first, Emma, what stuck out for you in the news this week? Well, James, I've been reading Macron's interview in Der Spiegel over and over again, in which they spend a great deal of time talking about German philosophers. Oh, this is, this is, I tweeted that out early this week with the line that this is why the French and the Germans should rule the world, and I kind of think it. <laughs> Any interview where the interviewer just launches into talking about Hegel okay, so and, gets an, and gets a sensible answer from the interview subject is but- pretty fantastic. Well, so I've got Macron's quote right here. You may have seen it already, those of you listening, because it's been doing the rounds on social media. But he says this, that Hegel viewed the great men as instruments of something far greater. It should be said that in referring to him in that way, he wasn't being particularly nice to Napoleon, because he, of course, knows that history can always outflank you. What? What is he talking about? But it's so. It, I mean, I, you've got to read it like three times to understand what he's talking about. But that's what's so fantastically... That's what's so fantastic about it. It's so it's so intellectual. Can you imagine Donald Trump talking like this? I mean, no, of course you can't imagine imagine it. I couldn't imagine Theresa May talking like this either. Or even, and you know, this with full respect to the Swedish Prime Minister, but I couldn't imagine him or most other Swedish politicians talking like this. I think it's a fantastic it's fantastic that you've got people there who, who are obviously exceptionally intelligent and well-read. It's, it's really interesting. And Macron is, is, is really the epitome of that, right? But do you have to be able to discuss Hegel in order to be a good president? No, probably not. Well, enough of that. Should we get on with the business of today? Yes, and talk to your people more intelligent than us, perhaps. I hope so. Austria made global headlines last week after the centre-right People's Party, led by 31-year-old Wunderkind Sebastian Kurz, won the general election. But Kurz's age was perhaps less significant than his turning the People's Party into a more hard-right movement, 
talking tough on immigration and praising Hungary's controversial Prime Minister Viktor Orban. Now he looks set to form a coalition with the far-right Freedom Party, a party formed by ex-Nazis that gained 26% in the election. Our managing editor Paul Omani has been following developments and he joins us now. Paul, what sort of leader might Sebastian Kurz be? Well, as you say, there's, there's been a lot of focus internationally on his youth, which is not surprising since he's going to be the youngest leader in the world if he's um, elected Chancellor. Uh, but it's worth remembering that he has already racked up quite a lot of um, experience. He was, he's been foreign minister of Austria for the last four years and he's combined that with being integration minister. And those are two pretty serious gigs. And he put his stamp on both of them. So I think we can say that he's going to be, he's, he's quite a confident guy. And he's going to be a confident leader and he's going to be quite a combative leader if his track record is anything to go by. A combative leader, but also quite a right-wing leader as well, right? I mean, he was one of the driving forces behind uh, closing the Balkan route uh, used by refugees moving through Europe at the height of the crisis in 2015. And at one point, he even he called um, the EU a human trafficker. Uh, so he's not afraid to, to shy away from, from conflict. Wow. And when he was integration minister, he, uh, he pushed through a ban on the wearing of uh, face-covering headgear in public, which is essentially a ban on, the, the, um, on Islamic headgear like the burqa. And that law came into force this month. Okay, well, so how likely does the coalition with the far-right Freedom Party look? It looks very likely. Um, Kurtz has moved the moved his own party further to the right and closer to the Freedom Party, and there's a lot of overlap there. And they've they've t- both talked quite openly about the the possibility of forming a coalition to the extent that Heinz Christian Strache, the head of the Freedom Party, has said that he wants to be the interior minister and that looks it looks like where's that's where the negotiations are going to go when the freedom party first entered government in austria the eu slapped sanctions on it and that's not being discussed this time has the freedom party mellowed or is it the eu that's changed it's a good question it's, it's still a party that was founded by ex nazis in the 1950s and <laughs> we, we shouldn't um, we shouldn't forget that and it's never going to change but straka has professionalized the party quite a lot and he has sought to distance it from its most extreme elements in the, in recent years. So in a sense, yes, it has mellowed. Although the main Jewish group in Austria this week characterised it as a kind of a wolf in sheep's clothing. There's been there's been quite a lot of concern, I think, in the EU about him taking uh, the uh, taking Austria down a more Eurosceptic route. But is that really what he's going to do? What's your reading of that? He's going into coalition, presumably with a very Eurosceptic party. And as, uh, as I mentioned earlier, he was instrumental in closing down the, the Balkan route, which put him on a bit of a collision course with the EU and Angela Merkel in particular. Um, so a lot of experts sort of expect Austria to move closer to the uh, Visegrad group of countries in Central and Eastern Europe, like, like Hungary, Poland, the Czech Republic, uh, where nationalist governments have prevailed and they've moved further away from the kind of internationalism that characterizes the EU. Right, so 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 not necessarily if you look at the Visegrad group it's, it, there's not it's not sort of um looking to leave the, this, no. these aren't countries looking to leave the EU like Britain. We're talking about more like taking a stand against the what until now at least has been the European mainstream and moving the European mainstream more towards a kind of an anti-asylum um closed borders uh, sort of position. 
Exactly, exactly. Moving maybe against a, a deepening of the union, not not wanting to press ahead at the, the speed that people like maybe Macron or Merkel would like to do. Well, I saw, um, just, just saw on Twitter a picture of um, Kurtz being... Uh, trying to avoid a kiss on the lips from Jean-Claude Juncker. So um, <laughs> Good luck. It was the, the mood music looked warm, at least. But um, we'll see how that progresses. Um, Paul, thanks very much. Just two weeks after Catalonia voted to split from Spain in a disputed referendum, citizens of the Italian regions of Veneto and Lombardy will vote on Sunday on loosening ties with the rest of Italy. Veneto, for those of you who don't know, is the area around Venice, and Lombardy is the region around Milan. And the regions, like Catalonia, are both among the wealthiest in the country. They're stopping short of calling for full independence, but supporters of autonomy are fed up with the large amounts of money they send to the south. We're joined by Jessica Phelan from Rome, who's been following developments. Jessica, why are people in these regions asking for more autonomy? Hi, James. Well, the short answer is money. As you mentioned there, Lombardy and Veneto are both two of Italy's richest regions by far, to give you a sense of that. Between them, they account for 30% of Italy's entire GDP. Um, And as you mentioned, they're fed up with sending money to the central government, which then gets spent on, as they see it, propping up the poorer regions in the south. So people who support greater autonomy in these regions, they're asking for not only to keep more of their taxes within the regions, but to have more control over what those get spent on. Okay, so um, as far as I understand, it's the the Northern League Party that's leading the charge for autonomy, kind of. And this is seen as an anti-immigration populist party allied with the Freedom Party of Austria and allied with the National Front of France. So is autonomy seen as a far-right project? So the Northern League certainly did start out in identity politics. They originally celebrated this kind of unique, as they saw it, identity of Northern Italians, which they saw as very distinct from people in Southern Italy. They celebrated Northern pride and they talked about this homeland, Padania, which is this kind of um, mythical Northern homeland that they originally talked about creating, just separating off entirely from Italy and creating a kind of separate Northern homeland. And in recent years, they've overgone, they've undergone a really significant change. As you mentioned, they've started forming these alliances with other parties in Europe, and they've taken a much more national outlook. Their ambition, it seems, is to become a national party, not one that is just limited to these northern regions. Um, And so what's interesting is that calling this referendum now is almost seen as a kind of um, a kind of move to shore up support in their original northern base. Um, so it was a proposition by the Northern League, but what's really interesting is that no other parties have mounted significant opposition to it. So across the centre-right, um, Forza Italia prominently have supported it. The anti-establishment party, the Five Stars movement, have supported the idea of a referendum on autonomy. And even the ruling Democratic Party, 
they haven't mounted any opposition to it. They haven't told their voters to vote against it. Uh, and what are the general public saying and what are the polls saying? Is it, is it likely to get voted through? Uh, yes, the, it is expected to, um, to be a yes vote. That's partly to do with the fact that this is a feature of referendums. It's the people who want to change the status quo who typically are more like or more, more motivated to turn out. Um, it has been compared to uh, to asking, you know, asking people of greater autonomy in these regions has been compared to asking if people love their mothers. <laughs> do these regions have a sort of? Do they consider themselves to be separate nations? Have a separate uh, national identity, like Scotland or Catalonia, or is it much more a, a, a purely financial thing? In the current iteration, it is much more financial. Um, there, there is, there are some identity politics involved, um, particularly in Veneto. There's a kind of movement to have the Venetian language taught in schools, things like that. Um, but if you look at the campaign material, it's all talking about um, having ha how having strong a strong Lombardy, a strong Veneto within Italy benefits the entire country. So they're not talking about breaking off, they're not talking about seceding. There are perhaps some die-hard Northern League supporters who have this belief in this Northern homeland, but they're fewer and fewer. And the direction that the party is going in now is far more national in outlook. How big is interest in this uh, in these referendums? Are, are people enthused by the thought of voting? Well, the latest poll that I've seen, which was conducted at the beginning of October, indicated that turnout across both regions would be in the low forties. Um, oh, so that's that's pretty low then. I mean, that's about about on a par with Catalonia. Yes. Exactly. Um, and in while in Lombardy, there's no threshold um, for a minimum turnout. In Benito, unless turnout is over 50%, then the result won't count. So while we are fairly confident that people who do vote are going to vote yes, the real question is how many people are actually going to bother going and voting on Sunday. Okay, I quite, I quite enjoy this because it's a non-binding referendum but there's a threshold under which it doesn't count. But if it does count, it if, if it comes over the threshold, it does count, but it's still non-binding. It's Italian bureaucracy. Correct? Bureaucracy. <laughs> yeah, that's about the sum of it. So I love Italy, it's fabulous. I understand why not everyone is enthralled by the whole process in Italy. <laughs> oh, much fun. All right, thanks very much, Jess. That was great. Okay, <laughs> okay cheers. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. The avalanche of sex assault allegations against Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein have led women worldwide to go public with their own experiences under the hashtag MeToo. In Paris, a survey in 2015 showed every single female respondent had been a victim of some kind of sexual assault. This week, the French government announced a new law that will impose on-the-spot fines for sexual harassment on the streets. We're joined by Evie Burroughs-Taylor from the local France, who has been talking to French women about their experiences. Evie, according to the women you spoke to, how widespread is the problem of sexual assault in Paris? Um, well, it's, I think it's a huge problem. It's a, it's a really big problem here. And um, uh, when I was speaking to women in, around the city, uh, the thing that came through was that everyone, every woman has a story uh related to this i mean um one of them in fact said to me i mean this asked how many women i'd been speaking to and said you know you must have so many stories because the the thing that came through was that people were selecting um what to tell me from a huge huge back catalog which is uh something that's obviously quite depressing um but yeah i think it has affected almost every woman in the city but what sort of attacks are we talking about here? Um, what sort of level of seriousness are we are we talking about? Well, I mean, it varies quite dramatically. I think it goes from, you know, that a lot of the women um, were talking about uh, intimidations on the metro. The metro was a really big theme that kept coming up again and again. Um, and it ranges from kind of... Uh, being inappropriately uh, touched um, and addressed, you know, men shouting things at them, sexual things, uh, talk, commenting on their bodies in public, um, harassing them in terms of asking them out again and again, asking personal details. Like I said, touching particularly um, when the metro is packed, 
there were some problems with uh, women were mentioning problems with kind of men pushing themselves up against them and then in the street in general kind of feeling intimidated by large groups of men who have you know take it upon themselves to discuss women as they walk by um and then there's more serious stories as well like uh being stalked and kind of followed down the street uh, and being chased so there's quite a huge selection out there were you surprised by what you heard no, I wasn't, which is, yeah, I guess speaks volumes. Um, I was surprised, I guess, one particular story surprised me just because of the brazenness of it. Um, one guy uh, on a packed metro pushed himself kind of intimately uh, against uh, a woman, uh, kind of pushing himself against her, her buttocks. And I think that kind of thing, you kind of can't really... It, it, even if you it's not that surprising it's still quite a shocking thing to hear um but no i mean i wasn't really shocked by what i heard no i have to say i mean uh, reading your article and hearing what so many women have said after the harvey weinstein incidents for me that it, it's it it shocked the hell out of me i have to say you know as particularly as a gay man who's, who feels like a little bit sort of uh, divorced from all of this to understand that women are facing this uh, to such an extent was pretty shocking but the weinstein story this i mean this has obviously stuck a chord in the uh, struck a chord in the english speaking world but it sounds like it's really struck a chord in france as well yeah that's for sure it really has um i mean the Weinstein affair, obviously, I, I also found that shocking. I, I, I'm not sure, that was more shocking to me than the stories I was hearing about kind of walking around Paris, um, just because of the extent of one man's kind of uh, yeah, sort of obsession and, uh, yeah, the lengths he went to. But, um, I mean, what happened with Weinstein, I mean, that's definitely struck a chord here in terms of, you know, it happening in the workplace. I mean, there was a, it was a French journalist who started the hashtag Balance Ton Porro or uh, Expose the Pig, um, which then kind of had, you know, thousands of women saying uh, that they'd experienced harassment uh, in from industries, you know, from uh, the film industry as well, like Weinstein to journalism. Um, and just, yeah, coming forward. And in fact, one of the women I spoke to for the article um, told me that uh, she's seen similar things happening where she works and she works in a hospital. So I think that it's kind of the Weinstein issue. I mean, terrible though it is, this could be the moment for women to come forward and take the opportunity to to address something that hasn't been spoken about to this extent before. These uh, on-the-spot fines that are being proposed in France, how would they work exactly? Well, the thing is, we don't really know at the moment. Um, when it comes to the fines, I mean, it hasn't even really been defined what they mean or what the fines will mean in terms of what kind of harassment will be fined. So they've said that um, they're still trying to define that. I mean, Marlene Schiappa, the uh, the minister that's uh, pushing for this legislation, um, she was questioned on, on what will be included in it. And she was saying, you know... Uh, talking 10 to 20 centimetres from your face or following you down the street for a significant amount of time or asking you for your number 17 times. These were the examples she gave. I think to stress that it's really going to be serious behaviour rather than just someone kind of, you know, uh, the kind of, like you said, uh, the comments on the street perhaps, the sort of as you walk by. Because the thing is, the, a lot of what came through when I speak to women is how could they possibly really, you know, how could this be regulated? Um, but that's that's to be decided. 
Um, so, so what stage are we at at the process? How likely is it that this is going to happen? I mean, I think is it, it just something that's being proposed? No, it's, it's something. It's something that's going to happen, but they just haven't worked out the the details mm-hmm. yet. Um, but the French do love to. Uh, they do love imposing fines. Um, they really like to. <laughs> that's uh, they like this solution to problems. Uh, they did it with cigarette butts, and uh, they they really they really like it as a solution to to problems that that happen on the street in particular. That was Evie Burroughs Taylor, the locals' correspondent in Paris, finishing up there. All right, that's pretty much. It from us this week. We'll be back with more next week, but in the meantime, don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast on the iTunes store or via ACAST app. And if you like it, as always, we'd be super grateful if you could rate us. Meanwhile, if you want to discuss any of this week's topics, you can find us on Facebook or on Twitter at The Local Europe. But for now, it's Alvidezain from me. And it's Arrivederci from me. Ciao. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.